Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Primer. So, does it hurt? Yeah, yeah it does a little. It's, it's not bad though if you wait for the right time. It's like a, a small static shock. Once you're in, you're fine though. What? I know you've done it, okay? And I can only assume that you don't have cancer male impotence because of it, but I mean, what is your opinion on how safe this thing is? Aaron, I can imagine no way in which this thing would be considered anywhere remotely close to safe. All I know is I spent six hours in there, and I'm still alive. You still want to do it? This is an American independent psychological science fiction thriller. Directed by Shane Carruth. The cast includes Shane Carruth. David Sullivan, and all their friends and family. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it downloaded onto the Amazon Prime app onto my laptop, and I watched it in an airport. <laughs> As it was intended to be watched, because all exactly. of that had existed back when this movie was made. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, before we begin our discussion on this movie, we will recap the events in a synopsis that was written by Joey. Uh, Joey, go ahead. Four engineers, Abe, Aaron, Robert, and Philip, have all been working in Aaron's garage to create the next big thing. The only problem is, they have no idea what that it will be. Despite some successful patents and interest from hobbyists, the quartet has not seen much success. Abe and Aaron stumble upon the plans for a new device that a competitor is working on. They attempt to build one themselves, hoping to improve the design. At first, it appears to be working as expected. But as they experiment more, they notice some very strange behavior. Weeks and then months pass. Abe takes the project under his wing, continuing to experiment. Eventually, he calls Aaron, and the two of them retrace Abe's steps to his ultimate discovery. Abe found that if he put something inside the device, it would accumulate some kind of fungus. It was consistent with being left alone for several years. Eventually, he puts his watch in the device, and it all becomes clear. The pair has accidentally invented a time machine. Abe takes Aaron to a storage facility, where Aaron sees another Abe enter the building with an oxygen tank. It is him from the past, about to travel backward in time. The two of them start talking about consequences. They decide to leave the two other engineers out of the discovery, hoping to capitalize themselves. At first, they start by trading stocks. Worried about accidentally changing the past, they hole up in a hotel room and try not to interact with the world. Then, they check stock prices at the end of the day, go to the storage facility, enter the time machines, and arrive in the morning. Then, they buy the stocks they know will drastically increase. But the question of what will happen if they try to change the past keeps coming up. One night, Abe wakes up to some car alarms outside his house. He calls Aaron and convinces him they should experiment with causality. Travel backward, do something, then stop themselves from ever waking up and even having this conversation. But as they are leaving, Aaron sees a familiar car. It's a potential investor in their company, except he looks different than when Aaron saw him earlier in the day. They chase and tackle him. Abe begins to panic. He tells Aaron that he has a secret second time machine in a different storage room. This one has been running for days. He wants to use it to go back and stop them from ever using the machines in the first place. 
Except Aaron already knows about the failsafe. He used it to set up his own time machine so he could travel back to the beginning too. Aaron has traveled back to the very first time travel day at least three times. He has recordings and notes on all his interactions. He is following a script dictated by his past self in order to more completely control the sequence of events in his life. This leads to him inviting someone to a party, and that person bringing a shotgun in to threaten Abe's girlfriend. Aaron then intervenes, and the man goes to jail. To be honest, it's all very confusing. At the end, Abe decides he's going to try to secretly dismantle the machines, preventing himself from ever discovering his idea worked at all. And Aaron escapes to France to build an even bigger machine, one he might even be able to live inside of. The end. There you have it. The events of Primer will begin our discussion with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about Primer? This is one of the purest distillations of a sci-fi concept ever put to film. I love the dialogue, the science jargon, the mannerisms of the actors. It's just all incredible. Time travel is super fun to think about, and uh, it's really confusing in a way that's intriguing. And the movie is on a sh- shoestring budget. Uh, I think Mr. Krabs may have been the one that financed this movie. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree with all of that. This movie has incredible realism. It is a Herculean effort by the director and one of the lead actors, Shane Carruth. The movie trusts its audience to be smart, which I usually and uh, you know for the most part enjoy uh, in this movie. It's unsettling. This movie is interesting and suspenseful, and it's thought-provoking both from a scientific perspective and from a moral perspective, which I think really is your jumping-off point at the, the way this movie ends. It really gives you a lot to chew on and stays with you after the movie is, uh, is over. I guess I'll mention this as well. It's short. And I felt like this movie told a lot of story in a short amount of time. The it's like not to hold it against the movie, but this movie felt longer than it is because it is so short and they get so much done in that amount of time. So those are what we those are the things we liked about Primer. Joey, what did you not like about this movie? Um, some of the acting isn't perfect. Um, it just doesn't quite hit the same way, um, but most of it's good. Uh, it's the whole thing is confusing and muddled kind of on purpose. And I'm also not sure why things matter. Um, things like why did Aaron leave his family behind or sort of loose ends that don't really add up to the rest of the story. Um, and yeah, it's just like the climax in general at this point is so like, there's so many things happening that it's unclear what you're supposed to care about. Um, and, and it seems to kind of come out of nowhere. Um, so yeah. What about you? Like I said before, this movie trusts its audience to be smart enough to keep up, but I do think there's a point where they go too far and they trust the audience too much. Uh, I felt like I kind of got lost in a lot of things and not knowing what is important was kind of frustrating because I wasn't sure if I had just lost the thread or if there was no real thread to to grab onto. Uh, So, you know, I, I guess you could kind of summarize that and just say this movie is pretty confusing and also the audio editing leaves a lot to be desired there's a lot of things in this movie that come across professionally done and you know 
worthy of being called a movie, right? What we're used to seeing, the level of quality. There's other times where it's like, dang, I guess it was really loud on set that day and there wasn't a lot they could do. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes me think we should degrade um, our audio on purpose. Um, uh, just to match the quality of the film. <laughs> Uh, okay, so there we go. Uh, those are our pros and our cons. And now we'll get into our overall section. Joey, take it away. Occasionally, this has happened to me a couple of times in the last couple of years, but I, this is one of those things that has such a huge impact on me that I don't even realize of how much of an impact it's had on me. It's like sort of reshaped and reformed my brain um, in like a fundamental way. And it's only rewatching it or re-experiencing it, then I'm like, oh, that's why I think that. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it, this is definitely one of those things. Um, I, this movie inspires me unlike anything else. Uh, when I imagine making my own movie, it looks a lot like Primer. It is a watermark that pushes me to become a better and better writer. And it is so simple, so easy, but there are just a few elements that turn it into something just masterful. Um, first of all is the concept. Time travel this movie is more than just a convenient plot device. It's a tool used by the characters. Pretty much every other time travel movie follows the Terminator model, which is a good one. It's a good model. If you're making it, if you want to include time travel in your movie, unless you're Shane Carruth, I encourage you to, to look at Terminator as your example. Um, <laughs> it's simple. It's clean. Um, but in Terminator, time travel is not a tool available to the characters. It is a method of transportation from one place to another. Sure, we have some vague promises about what will happen, which leads to motivating characters to change the past, but they can't use time travel to accomplish that, at least not directly. But Primer is different. The characters, and by that I mean the writers, are really thinking fourth dimensionally. They are extrapolating easily and creating a story that is extremely complex. Because once you start moving in new directions, it, becomes, it quickly moves out of people's depth of understanding. And that's what I love about Primer is that it actually makes sense. If, you're, if you have intelligent characters who understand the consequences of the machine they're using, it follows they would use it to backstab each other or try to control the future or to create copies of themselves. It feels like they really go super far with this. And maybe they could have gone further, but again, we see how flawed these guys are, right? And at some point it becomes so too much for even them to keep track of what's going on. So. I, another thing I love about Primer is the machine and the method of time travel. If you want to go back in time, you have to machine, you have to have a machine that's taking you there, right? You cannot go back in time later than the invention of the first time machine. It's freaking amazing when Aaron reveals that he took a box back with him through another box. It's so clever and it stretches the limits of what we've already established without breaking any of the rules. I just freaking love that. Plus, Time only moves at one speed. If you want to travel back six hours, you have to be in the box for six hours. That means longer journeys are harder. And assuming this technology is around for a long time, very long journeys might just be impossible, just logistically. Here, yeah, so I just, I really love all these different things that he puts in here, right? He makes all these rules, he establishes how they got there. And then when once you start playing with it, even those rules get bent, and it just feels so satisfying to see this worked out. It honestly feels like somebody invented a time machine and was like, okay, now what can I really do with this? You know, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to go back in time now. It's like, but, but how exactly? And like, what could I really do? How could I really exploit this to my best effort, right? What I, something that I think about all the time is how any scientific discovery open, like pulls back the curtain just enough for you to see 
wide, wide consequences, right? And there's not like a really good example of something recent. I, I like to think about like um, ChatGPT or the AI art movement, right? Those have been pretty big um, steps, uh, at least that it feels like to normal consumers like me. But it's um, the consequences of those things are are going to have really wide um like reaching impact yeah impacts it's not just um oh it's a cool thing to do or oh it could write your essays for you or something right they're they're the applications of this have not even we haven't even scratched the surface of what's possible right and in in a way you can think of it as being like a very small step in one direction that leads to a whole bunch of bigger steps in a bunch of other directions and i feel like the time travel in this movie fits that fits into that category well it's not just oh an interesting gimmick that they've done right it's suddenly opened up a whole wide option uh, like of of opportunities right there's all these things that you can do with it that weren't available before and now that you've created this thing you can now do so much more than you were able to before and it feels like the characters understand that and take advantage of that and um i just really appreciate that because it, it feels so much more real and it feels so much more impactful. It feels so much more clever. Um, it ta- it's taking you along with it and being like, look at what we can do. Look at what's possible. Um, and I, I just think that's um, amazing, honestly. Um, here's my hot take about time travel, okay? Every time travel movie is about regret. People are obsessed with, what if? What if? And time travel is a fictional device that lets you explore those other options in a way you could never do. We see how regret manifests itself with Aaron and Abe. The more they wrestle with the concept of traveling in time, the more they realize how much they wish was different. And suddenly, every decision becomes an opportunity for regret. And like, um, like Aaron says, Do you ever feel, you know, like, oh, maybe things aren't right, you know? Like, maybe your life is in disarray or just not what you would like. And you start to wonder, you know, what caused this? How did things get like this? You know, people are always... Blaming their parents, you know, is it, if their mom would have breastfed them, their lives would have turned out different. A bunch of whiners. Yeah, they're a bunch of whiners. I mean, but what, what if it wasn't something you wonder about, you know? What if you knew for sure this is this is not the way things are supposed to be? See, man, I'm not like that. I'm not I'm not into the whole destiny, there's only one right way. Babe, I'm not either, okay? But what's worse, you know, thinking you're being paranoid or knowing you should be? When you don't actually have to live with any decision, right? You start to second-guess yourself constantly. What is the ultimate outcome? What if there was something better? For me, Primer grasped the concept of regret in a really tangible way. To me, it's a signal that this movie understands time travel in a way very few other things do. Um, it's because it, it just it latches onto that. The characters fall into this pattern of what if and regret. And I think that if you're seriously thinking about time travel and it's accessible, available to you, is something that you end up having to grasp with, grapple with um, constantly. Right. I, I think an example of that was how they ended up handling the party situation where they practiced it to the point where they got the ideal outcome, where it wasn't just preventing someone from getting shot or stopping the bad guy or, you know, I, I don't know, making it the least risky way of stopping him. It was like, the outcome is I will stop him completely and become a hero. Uh, the 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 most positive outcome. You can compare this to like Back to the Future, where they have to go back in time and make sure Biff doesn't get the sports almanac so he doesn't become like big champion guy. And mm. by stopping him, 
everything turns out good. Marty's dad becomes like the the Chad, and and Biff becomes the the weak uh, whatever opposite of Chad is virgin. Uh, uh, virgin yes, and <laughs> you're able to everything turns out perfect in one go. And this movie kind of grapples with the idea that it's like, well, maybe not. You you'd get one iteration better, but why not get another iteration better and better and right. better because you have unlimited tries. Yeah, and it's oh interesting seeing them argue about this right it's like why not just not invite him why not just tell him not to come or or maybe just tell rachel not to come or or something right but but um aaron makes the argument that the more that's the same the better that they control it right and that's why he does all the things he does is because he wants to control the future he knows that everything is kind of tenuous but that if he follows a very strict script that everything kind of falls in line and and it's a timeline that's close enough to the to the one that he has scripted that he can control the outcome and so it's not as simple as not letting the guy come it's if the guy comes i know exactly what to do and then he like he won't be able to threaten people in the future blah 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 right it's um but it's like never you never know for sure right because there's also this um argument that um aaron is just doing it for his own self-interest which is almost explicitly true because he wants to not just because he wants to be the the hero he wants to control the future he wants to know what's going to happen and be able to um, make it better for himself right and this is the purest manifestation of that he he's acting as if he's doing it selflessly but he's putting everyone in danger for his own like self-interest um which is ultimately how these two characters like come to head right we got two characters that are diametrically opposed. Abe and Aaron both understand the power of causality. They know that changing the past changes the future. We see this early on. Abe takes Aaron through the exact same steps, right, uh, that he goes through to discover that what he's created is a time machine. He goes to the lab. He asks the guy to tell him the same thing over and over. Tell him what he told me. Tell me what he told me. Just act like <laughs> I wasn't, like I haven't come in here before and this is the first time you're telling me, right? It's, it, he understands that everything has to fall into place in order for you to come to the, that, that conclusion. He wants, he wants Aaron to come to the conclusion the same way he did, right? And not just trust his, his, um, his statements, right? And that's... Um, that's exactly the same way that both of them think about time. They're like, okay, if we do exact, if we don't affect the past at all, then we can control what happens in the future. But we also recognize that anything can happen, right? If we do any little thing, then it could affect um, the the future. If we mention some stock to the wrong guy, then maybe that stock will drop instead of go up. You know, who knows, right? And um, Abe, I think is pretty, it's pretty clear is terrified of changing the past, right? He, he ends up proposing that they do this causality experiment, right? But up until that point, he's terrified of what's going to happen. And even, and once that kind of goes off the rails, he immediately wants to hit the reset button. But Aaron sees this as the ultimate form of control. He knows that if he keeps to his schedule and follows the same pattern as closely as possible, he'll be able to accurately predict the future and being able to see the future, even a few days ahead puts you on a totally different level and uh what this all comes out like in what feels like very natural conversations this is the other thing i love about this movie is the dialogue is amazing these two friends just talk constantly often over each other primer is full of techno jargon and weird concepts it's nonsense but in a much more convincing and a much deeper way than pretty much every other movie the way Wait, they okay, conduct- so it is absolutely nonsense like well, there was a lot real. in the beginning <laughs> 
there's a lot at the beginning of this movie that goes way over my head and it sounded close enough to be real yes and i could not figure out what on earth they're working on but i was like this probably like there's a chance maybe this is real and, and somebody like because this like like you said earlier this movie is very much a joey movie like this is <laughs> i could see you reflected in this movie very clearly and the stuff they're working on at the beginning while completely over my head seemed at least real and that was a question i had for you was any of it real what, well, what were they I mean, even trying not, to build they're not ranking like a real product right it's just some fictional you know sci-fi thing right the thing that they're trying to replicate is some sort of gravity um effector right you see them pour the um uh hole punch holes <laughs> i don't know what those are called hole punch scraps uh onto the thing and they're like floating right and then right. They're, they're later they're talking about like launching satellites or something right there's if they can affect gravity they could do it but then like something else happens and it seems i think what's going on here is they create some sort of distortion field that disconnects whatever's in it away from this reality maybe and that's why they're able to travel through time is that they become completely disconnected from whatever forces are enacting on us and it sort of cycles right back and forth from point a to point b and then back from point b to point a um and they're able they just get out at the right time right that's sort of how it works but it's like a it's just sort of it's i don't know it's it's not real it's not a real thing right and even like the board well, the time the, travel isn't but whatever they were working on before did right. that make any sense did the the like talking about using the different metals or whatever that they right, were well, that was part of, this, of the car and, that was part of this gravity thing right and that doesn't exist either so it, it's just okay i i mean at a certain point it's all fictional right that's what i mean by nonsense but well i guess that's the thing is i didn't know if they had because it would be really convincing if they started off with some sort of actual grounded in reality scientific experiment where they're like this this and this but then only really savvy mechanical engineers would be able to tell that this is the point where they crossed into fiction or if it's all fiction i mean it doesn't have to be this right but right. i think the way that they sold it you would have to have that kind of internal or that insider knowledge to be able to say that what they're doing is real or not to me, it was like, this could all be real up until the point where they invent time travel. Everything else could have been because, they, you know, they spend so much time talking about it that I assumed <laughs> some sort of actual realism to it. I, this is what I'll say. I think that if he, if he didn't write it this way, then this would be a smart way to write it. You have an actual project that you're working on, right? But you change the end result and the components of that, right? And and all you do is slot the um slot in the fictional device for the real device and the fictional components for the real components, if that makes sense, right? And right. you just and you change nothing else, right? All the other dialogue and the way that you go about it is all real, but the which means the method, right? The process of the experiment is real, but the end result and the component pieces are fictional does that make sense that's yes. the way i think yeah. about it because that's the way that they talk they talk as if they're real engineers and honestly the fact that we don't see this more often just proves how difficult it is to write this sort of dialogue right and i remember well, reading yes the, but also yeah. i think it's tough to trust your audience to stay engaged when something like this happens uh when you have characters who are talking in depth with concepts that aren't you know 
an apple falling down equals gravity, it, you are, are risking that your audience will completely tune out and say, this movie doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but I think that's sort of a, a shibboleth, isn't it? Like, this movie is made for people like like me. <laughs> this is people's made yes, for people is. that, like... <laughs> They sort of are interested in tech and like uh, like understand how these sort of things work, right? And I think that it's just a um, it's a way to engage your audience is to show like oh these people talk like you, these people act like you, right? And I think that's part of its power, honestly, is is like is hitting that mark, right? And I, I certainly don't think. I think I certainly think there are people that wouldn't like this movie for sure, but I think that yes. it's very. Um, I think that like what it's trying to do here, it does so, so well. And this like, um, this dialogue, uh, that, that is, <laughs> that's especially at the beginning is sort of your entry point, right? To, to, to establish faith with the audience that like, they know what they're doing. They, they, and these are smart people working on something smart. Um, and that's like, I don't know. I, I guess depending on your interaction with STEM lords, this is a it's it's, it's a certain uh, amount of convincing. You know, it's a certain amount of being convincing. I guess it's it's convincing to yes, a certain it, point. Yes. Well, and I, I don't want to come across as like uh, trying to reject this kind of dialogue. I think it's a really brave thing to do because you know it is going to reduce the size of the audience that's going to engage with your kind of uh with your content. So, I think it's I think it's awesome. As much as it's frustrating for me specifically, I can understand how there are people who are a little bit more uh, you know, engineering brained than I am and and who are able to to really love a challenge like this. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? It's it's it is a challenge. And uh, I I don't know. I I as I've watched this movie many times i think i've become a little more desensitized to that stuff i just because i um i know that it doesn't doesn't super matter like i know that all that matters is the cadence that they're talking in way more than the actual things that they're saying and uh because it doesn't really come back up once they establish the time machine um it becomes all about that the method in which they discover the time travel is super fascinating but none of that really like comes into play beyond the mechanics of traveling through time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really like the way that people talk in this movie. And one of my favorite lines of dialogue is, is this one. How do cell phones work? If there's two duplicate phones and I call the same number, do they both ring at the same time or is there? That's well, yeah, they, they both work. ring. It's, it's a radio signal. No, so. it's a network. The network, the network checks each area. When it finds a phone, it stops ringing. It only, it rings the first one. This one's ringing. Right. So the one your double has in Russellville can't be. Right, I think we broke symmetry. Are you sure that's how cell phones work? No. <laughs> how do cell phones work? Is this amazing? I've asked questions like this my entire life, right? I, I suddenly come across a problem with something that I'm like, I use this all the time, but I don't actually know how this works, right? And suddenly when it becomes, when, when, you hit this like part where you're trying to break something or you're trying to fix something and you're like, okay, now I, how exactly does this work? Actually? Um, you know, I, I'm familiar enough with the, the, this is a black, it turns out it's a black box for me, right? I'm familiar enough with how, with the outcome and maybe the inputs, but not the method. And, 
Uh, I just, I, I love the way that he phrases this question. How do cell phones work? Because it's exactly the way I would ask this question, right? It's not like, oh, well, is, the, what he's really asking is, you know, how does the cell phone know? Well, how does the, yeah, how does the cell phone know to, to ring uh, when it does? And if there's two cell phones, then what happens? He does clarify a little bit later, but how do cell phones work is the question. And it's, uh, it's an engineering question. I freaking love this. And I think about this all the time because this is exactly the way that I think a lot of people solve problems. And the way that they, you see these people do their experiments and everything, it's all, even though it starts, starts to kind of come off the rails as they get deeper and deeper into the time travel, they feel, it feels so methodical. It feels like they're really thinking things through. And it feels like when they come across a problem like this, they appropriately pa like panic. And it's, um, I, I don't know, it's way more engaging to me because of that. It, it, it just feels like these guys are trying to play with something that's in over their, in over their heads. And, um, but they're constantly trying to figure out what's going on and, and how to use it to their advantage and how to fix it and, and whatever else. Um, I don't know. It's it's amazing to me uh, how much that holds up. Um, uh, Shane Carruth is an engineer in some in some regard. He's like classically trained, but he's um, but being able to translate that into actual dialogue in your movie is something that very rarely happens. And I I think it's so convincing and and so engaging because of that. But you know I think that's uh, just me <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree with that. It being in kind of like the engineering world uh, through my you know time in academia, I can recognize some of these same attributes from some of the engineers that I know personally. These people who are able to, I mean, you're one of them, but people who are kind of able to build a foundation of understanding for problem solving by really getting to like thoroughly understand basic concepts and then those things build towards other things, right? So they're able to kind of look at an issue like, oh no, my cell phone is still on me and say, what is downstream from this or upstream from this in the sense that like, what have we just done to our existing timeline because this cell phone is ringing in front of me? Um, it's interesting because we actually covered the like how cell phones work in one of my computer science classes. And it's, I mean, I don't remember everything, but this is, sounds right to me, uh, the way that it, it searches through the network and then rings the first phone that matches that like ID or whatever. Um, so I don't know, that, that felt solid to me. And seeing that reflect in the movie, I think adds that a little bit more credibility. Uh, that's why when they're explaining this, I'm thinking back to the earlier conversation they're taking the car and the refrigerator apart and i'm like dang are they really doing something here is this <laughs> is this uh actual uh you know kind of science going on and it's even more compelling when you look at the way that this movie was like made uh because it, they were not working with a whole lot like this this movie I don't even know what the, the term amateur film is versus like an indie film because there are plenty of indie films that look really really well made and also have plenty of funding so i like this one to me gets much closer to amateur uh because of the fact that the person making it didn't have any experience doing this and also the budget was so low so going into this movie i felt like it looked very amateur but the story is so engrossing that it pulls you in and you forget that this movie doesn't look like or sound like most films uh, at least not films that you're used to seeing at the beginning it, it you know 
there's dead giveaways that is a low budget film. The actors are completely unrecognizable. The set is a basic standard house. The film quality isn't like amazing, although this movie is kind of old, so that's part of it. But like, honestly, it had me thinking about home movies that I made in my youth. But, but even if you haven't tried to make a film before, you can tell that this is made on a low budget. Uh, but the camera work is actually really stellar. You can tell that Carruth really knows what he's doing. And even if he's working with limited resources, he's able to put something impressive on screen. The language of film is being used effectively. And once the plot thickens, it, it pulls you right into the story. And, and you kind of leave all that stuff behind. I, I love that one of the settings is like a storage container right it makes perfect sense why they would do that and like put the time machine in there but it's like what a cheap place to film right like yes. like you just go there and there's hardly anybody there you go into your your thing and you put anything in there right and um you, like they don't even have to use i mean i think they probably had two of those and it's they say like it's on a separate floor but you never see them open them next to each other right so it's possible it was just the one next to the one they already had right and like but like it's brilliant honestly because it's like a it's a second location right that makes sense in the for the plot of the movie and it's a super cheap place to film something <laughs> like you don't have to do you have to worry about anything um so yeah i love that i love that so much yes this whole movie it, it's like if you keep that present in your mind that you know this movie is is very extremely cheaply made every single place that they're filming it's like oh i could see how they would easily be able to get away with this like filming in the grocery store i mean <laughs> these people are way ahead of their time uh you know now you might expect to be in the background of like a tiktoker or like some fitness influencer who's like doing a brand deal at your local grocery store but back then i mean nobody expected that so you're just walking in there with your camera shoot like five lines of dialogue real quick and and, and you know maybe even buy your groceries for the week and and you're done uh so I, I like the house the garage maybe the the office is probably the place where i would be the most uh in, in, interested in finding out how they were able to film there but everything else was like so uh easy to get to what you know again as content creators ourselves uh we've both taken a crack at various you know storytelling through the visual medium and set the choosing a set is one of the most limiting resources yes. because we don't have the money or we're not willing to invest the money in renting out a whole place and, and trying to do that so you just have to film where you can and then this movie had that same restriction which makes it so impressive that they're able to kind of make that blend into the film and it makes everything kind of seem uh really natural so really impressed with the ability to take to work with so little and come out with something that comes across uh so well done yeah uh and and you know kind of like we talked about before they definitely don't dumb anything down for you in this movie this movie trusts you to have a basic understanding of some scientific principles and then to keep up with the discoveries that are main characters that, that abe and aaron are making and honestly i have no idea what they were trying to do in the beginning <laughs> with the metals and the refrigerator and the car parts completely lost me there uh went way over my head 
But once we got to the time travel stuff, I was mostly able to keep up. Uh, and we kind of discussed this a little earlier where it's like it's it's more about the concepts uh, themselves that you need to keep up with. And those are pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the way they got to the discovery, the actual tangible science that's making it possible, the A to B thing, that's really not as important. Once you understand the time travel works, then you get to the, the meat of this movie and, and, and what's possible through being able to change the past or influence the future. So um, I felt like that works effectively. Um, like bottom line, this movie is dense and hard to follow. And I, I think this is primarily because the director trusts his audience to do the work to keep up. Um, and he's also intentionally trying to confuse even the most meticulous viewers. Uh, so Discovery is something that's often confusing, and I think the audience is supposed to experience that alongside our protagonist. And for that reason, this movie can be seen as something difficult to watch, uh, which obviously we talked about could turn off some viewers completely. But if you're a true galaxy brain, this movie could be the type of challenge that you can rarely find, which could make it really enjoyable. I think the confusion, like you just said, is on purpose. And because there are certain things that are overlapped that don't need to be overlapped, right? This is not this movie is not shot for clarity, but it's also reminiscent of time travel, right? When you start playing with this sort of power, it becomes very confusing very quickly. And this, I think, this movie does a really good job of making you feel like that, right? Making you feel overwhelmed and kind of confused about what's going on to give you the feeling that you are like unstuck from time and that like what's really going on what's really real anymore right and it can be frustrating but i think that there's a lot of like there's a lot of pieces in there that like fit together well enough for you to realize that there is something behind it and i think that shane caruth does a good enough job at the beginning of the movie establishing that he knows what he's doing for you to believe that it, this all makes sense that this is all put together meticulously that this is all made um like purposely it's not just some like kind of it's not like he lost the thread at the end and just kind of threw his hair in something area he clearly had something in mind but then obscured that on purpose right that's what it feels like anyway and so it makes me and most people i think a lot of people want to go back and try to piece it together and try to figure out exactly what's going on um, and try to put it together. But I don't necessarily know if that's really the point. I think the confusion, like, like, like we said, the confusion is on purpose to make you feel like you're like, uh, to, to give you the same feeling that the characters feel, which is that there's so much happening and there's, and there's so much at stake and so much danger and power uh, kind of thrown into the air that uh, almost anything could happen. And um, I don't know. I think that's. I think it's a good testament to the tonal shift in this movie, and um, although it can be somewhat frustrating, it makes it makes me appreciate just how complicated and how deep you can go with something as cool as time travel. I think when we analyze a movie, we want to get to this stasis where we feel like we understand the film and we have all of our questions answered. And I think that Primer rejects that notion and says. <laughs> uh, you can't get to that point with this movie, just like they can't ever get to the point where time is stable again after they've disrupted it. Uh, nothing that they do can really be known for certain, right? Because there's always a possibility that one of them will go back and change things. Right. So 
I, I think that I find that really compelling, that kind of parallel between like what's going on in the story and our experience of understanding the story. Right. Uh, that's the kind of transcendent stuff that really uh, makes me excited about a movie uh, in, in its totality. And, and Shane Carruth is an absolute inspiration for taking on a absolute laundry list of roles and responsibilities for this film. And I, I pulled this from Wikipedia, but principal photography took over five weeks on the outskirts of Dallas, Texas. Uh, the film was produced on a budget of only 7,000 US dollars and a skeleton crew of five. Carruth acted as writer, director, producer, cinematographer, editor, and music composer. He also stars in the film as Aaron, and many of the other characters are played by his friends and family. The small budget required conservative use of the super 16 millimeter film stock. The carefully limited number of takes resulted in an extremely low shooting ratio of two to one. Okay. Like the ability for these amateur actors to get it right in like an average of two takes blows my mind i know at least i, I know this movie isn't super long but it's long enough that that <laughs> you should have to take more than two takes these <laughs> professionals on set of other movies uh you know are, are taking hundreds of takes and they're able to to get this one nailed down in an average of two are you kidding me are you kidding me <laughs> it is really impressive. so it's it's awesome. Uh, continuing on in the uh, Wikipedia, after shooting, Carruth took two years to fully post-produce Primer. He has since said that this experience was so arduous that he almost abandoned the film on several occasions. Maybe if he had a time machine, he'd go back in time and not uh, start <laughs> making this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, uh. I, I certainly relate to that. You know, something like this, I mean, it's really ambitious and like, and then it becomes like, confusing and like do you have all the takes do you have all the shots what do you cut out you know once you get to the point where you've already shot everything right uh, and then you suddenly realize you're missing something or that one of the shots isn't going to work how do you adjust for that right there's so many different roadblocks that will come up in something like this especially on a, such a, a small budget but um but I mean, honestly like i feel like it really does work there there are certainly you know there are certainly things i think we both wish were different but it's uh, the movie feels so consistent it feels so like well put together and uh, it's i'm willing to forgive some of those you know problems um simply because we have it right and it, honestly very few other movies that talk about time travel ever come close to what primer does it, it's really something amazing and um i i don't know like I think it's just like a, like the, the 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 pure willpower that Shane Carruth has, or maybe just the inspiration he had because he knew he had something good that really pushed it over the edge. Um, and honestly, like I I love to think of Primer as just a starting point, and that any movie that really wants to take time travel seriously has to watch this movie and improve on what it's done here. Yeah, I don't even think that if you did have better production quality for this movie, that it would make it that much better of a movie. I agree. If anything, the kind of grit and grind, low budget uh, vibe that you get out of this film parallels the low budget grit and grind uh vibes of the garage where they invent time travel this isn't something that's going to be sleek and beautiful it's weird it's it's uh grimy and it's it's imperfect so i am very willing to forgive a lot of things that i might hold against a different movie because of that aspect and you know just 
looking at the totality of what Shane has done, it, it like, if you've ever tried to make a movie, you know how hard it is. It takes so much planning and coordination, and so many things can go wrong, okay? Your guy who holds a microphone can get sick and not show up. You can have any number of like variables that can mess up your movie, and then after you've, you've, you're done collecting it, there's a million steps between the concept of an idea and the actual completion of the task of bringing it to life on screen. The act of creating a film reminds me of creating this film specifically reminds me of the documentary free solo yes which we did an episode on where rock climber alex honnold climbs this huge rock face without any ropes it's so difficult that it's preposterous to even imagine attempting but to pull it off so masterfully is simply awesome and chris achievement here cannot be overstated it is incredible what he was able to do with so little uh, both from the just getting it across a finish line as like a basically complete movie, but also to make something that's this impactful. Uh, I just, I'm blown away. Uh, even if I'm not, even if I recognize that I might not be the like truly intended audience. And I know this movie will resonate even better with people who are more aligned with it. I, I respect the hell out of Shane Carruth for being able to take on so much of this on his own. All right, Joey. And I have a question for you. Um, because a lot of this movie, I feel like, is left ambiguous on purpose, but I'm not sure about this one. I'm pretty confused about Mr. Granger, okay? Um, why does he use the box, and why does he become a vegetable as a result of it? What, what happened with Mr. Granger? I'll answer the second question first, and that is that it's convenient for the plot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, so, Mr. Granger is like a potential a venture capitalist, right? A, a potential investor right. in whatever company that they're running out of their garage that's making computer chips or whatever, right? Um, and he's also related to uh, Abe's girlfriend. Although, like, girlfriend is sort of a strong world word, but it's it's not really important uh, to get into the the, um, <laughs> the nuance of that. Anyway, he <laughs> so he shows up in the middle of the night and he's like stalking Aaron for whatever reason. Now, what I'm extrapolating here is that because he's a potential investor, at some point in the future, Abe or Aaron goes to him and says, hey, we got this thing, a time machine. Uh, would you like to invest in it so we can, you know, become billionaires <laughs> or whatever, right? And I think it, follow, like it stands to reason that um, if that were to come true, at some point, Mr. Granger would have used the um, the box, one of the fail safes, maybe even to travel back to this period, right, and to interrupt uh, Abe and Aaron for whatever reason, right? Maybe the whole thing goes wrong. Maybe they invent something and it's like it goes terribly uh, off the rails and destroys something terrible. So he go he takes it matters into his own hands and decides he's going to stop these guys before they even come to him with this problem, right? Um, again, it's about regret, right? He's, he's coming back to stop something from happening is the implication. But as we see, traveling through time takes a toll on your body. Um, like your mental and physically, mentally and physically, you are not the same when you come out of that box. Um, and the longer you're in there, the worse it is. So it stands to reason that he wouldn't be able to articulate what he's trying to do or whatever. They're able to easily catch up to him and tackle him. And then when he becomes vegetable, right, he's, it's like, 
uh, he's still suffering the effects of a long-term time travel, or perhaps he's just, um, you know, he got hit too hard or, or it was an accident or whatever, right? I don't know what happens to him at the end. I don't know if they send him back in the box or if they, they, they seem to put something over his, over his head, right? Um, but yeah. anyway, it's like, uh, I don't know. It, it is weird. It's a weird loose end, but it's kind of an interesting detail um, when you watch the movie a bunch of times because it becomes like this extra element. It's like, oh, like the consequences of what we're doing here, we do not know what's about to happen because once we, even, once we put this thing into the world, uh, anybody can find it and come back here and try to stop us or try to do something, you know, try to affect the, the, the distant past. Um, so it's, um, I don't know, it, it's, it's an interesting little, like, loose end that's sort of uh, thrown into it um, and certainly makes the whole thing, like, more haunting in a way. Yeah, I, I guess it kind of touches on this concept of it not being... 100% safe to use the box. We get the little ear bleeds and honestly that's where the thrilling part came for me or the kind of suspense part came for this movie because I was like, "Oh no, what kind of bodily harm will come to the users of the box right. where they realize too late that they've given themselves time travel cancer and then they <laughs> die of some sort of horrific death." Yeah. And I yeah, like obviously going back in time this far clearly negatively effective Mr. Granger. But I also think that brings up another uh, interesting decision where if the two of them did realize, Aaron and Abe dis- like realized they're like, oh, we're giving ourselves, you know, time warp cancer. Uh, we should stop. And then Aaron's like, no, I'll keep going knowing that this is what I'm doing to myself because that's how committed I am to controlling power. And like, I'll use time travel to invent the cure for time travel cancer. And, right. and you know, something like that it was like w- hubris. And, and maybe that's getting a little adding too much into a movie. That's like an hour and 10 minutes. But um, I, I thought, and it made, at least made me think about that. And uh, I didn't realize that that was the issue with Mr. Granger, but I think that compounds the issue of saying like, okay, clearly traveling through time is not risk-free, even for your own body. Uh, like that, that journey comes with its own costs, even uh, you know, independent of the impact you're having on the rest of the world. I really like the detail where um but uh, uh, Aaron travels back in time through his own failsafe, right? And then a, another version of himself shows up and tries to fight him. And he, the, and so Aaron two, right, fights off the future Aaron three. But then he's like, oh, wait, why am I doing this? You obviously know more than I do and have some reason that I failed. So I'll just leave. <laughs> Um, it's like, it's like a sort of respect for his like future self in a way, which is funny, but like, it just proves <laughs> that the, um, right, like, like you just become weaker as time, as you travel more in time and like your body degrades and you like your mental faculties degrade. So it becomes like, di- like it becomes difficult to, to experience this kind of, uh, um, time travel, which is, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting element to this and, uh, something like just. Um, I don't know, just it makes the whole thing more suspenseful, more more intense. Um, because it doesn't stop it doesn't stop them at all from doing it, right? It just <laughs> makes them um even seem even crazier. I think you could lean into the horror aspect harder if you wanted to make a slightly different movie where those things that are affecting them are shown in a more horrific manner. I yeah, I yeah. was 
little bit disturbed when they were like, why can't we write like normal people? <laughs> that was crazy. And right? I was like, well, for me, I was like, engineers be like, am I right? Like, I, I, I don't know any engineers that have good handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just totally independent of the of the in, the time machine, and they just suck at handwriting always. <laughs> but um, but that did actually kind of scare me, and it would be interesting. You know, a, it would definitely be a, a different movie, but it would be interesting if like the more they used it, the more weird things started happening that way, and then they end up living in some sort of perpetual hell where uh, like weird things are happening to them because they're they keep using time travel. Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, one other thing I want to talk about here is, um, something that's kind of only become relevant, I guess, in the last few years, which is the fact that they use the stock market to, um, uh, like that's, that's their first instinct is like, okay, how can we make money off of this? Right. This would be the easiest thing to do. And so they decide they're going to trade on the stock market. Um, it's better. They say it's better than the lottery, right? Because you get paid out immediately instead of like over the course of several years. And you don't have to ask any, you don't have to answer any questions, right? If you win the lottery, you probably are in the news. But if you're in, uh, if you just trade well in stocks, you can do that in secret, essentially. Um, it's, it's a smart play, honestly. And I think that's what's supposed to be, uh, what is supposed to be in, in the movie is that it is a smart play. But given the context of uh, cryptocurrency and um, Wall Street bets and, you know, the, the, the rise of the uh, retail trader, um, this takes on a new meaning um, today, which is, I think, kind of funny, which is just that like the like stock, the stock market is the get rich scheme of the overeducated, right? Uh, people are like, oh, I'm going to you know invest in this thing and then I'm going to become rich. And it's like it's impossible not to wonder what if right? what if I had gotten in early? What if I had done this early? What if I had known about this like before anyone else did? And um, it's fun to imagine. Sure. But it's uh, it's sort of just like gambling in any other situation the fact that they use it to their advantage here right and then they're constantly looking for more and more opportunities like oh you know there are stocks that do way better than double in a day right um we uh, it just sort of uh it reinforces this idea that um like <laughs> that stem lords love stocks and they think that uh trading stocks is the is their way to uh success um i don't know i think it's kind of funny yeah, well, and also it, it reinforces this kind of idea that these STEM lords are like the ultimate discovery is a way to turn money into more money, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter the actual physical or like it, the, imp the impact that this makes on the real world. Right. It, it, all that matters is that through the use of some new discovery, you're able to make the line go up and, and instead of down. Yes. Uh, then, and, and that's that's true success in in through science um my last okay i'm gonna last pitch to make this a different movie is to <laughs> redo primer but instead have it take place during the uh w wall street bets like GameStop okay. stocks and and kind of retcon real life history to make it so that they caused that to happen ah, right like that's nice. the reason why they're like we have to do something that nobody will see coming like we have to make GameStop you know <laughs> and then like they include Reddit and then they have like the little diamond hands like sunglasses guy with blonde hair like on the movie poster and you could make so much money you could probably make that movie for this for seven thousand dollars today but then it would you would sell so many tickets because uh, everybody would, would want to go see that and be like, this might have been what actually happened. Dude. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> 
all right. Well, that is going to conclude the overall section, and we'll move on to our cool Easter eggs. So what have you got for us, Joey? I saw found this thing on posted that was posted on Reddit um, a long time ago, which was a comprehensive timeline of Primer. Um, it's it's not worth like reading it because it's like it would take me probably about thirty minutes to to read it to you. <laughs> um, but I'll I'll give this link, Benjamin, so you can even include this link in the uh, notes here so people can check it out if you're interested. Yep. It, it's it. It doesn't quite answer every question, I think, because at the end, like it goes through timelines one through 11, one through 10, and then it says 11 plus, and then it says timeline question mark. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's not exactly like perfect, but it, um, it gives like uh, a lot of explanations. And there's some cool Easter eggs in here about um, like which Aaron is which and, and all this sort of thing, um, which I think is kind of fun. Um, one of the things, oh, uh, in the library, Abe notices that Aaron is writing very slowly and carefully to make it look neat. This is a side effect of using the box to travel back in time. Abe, at this point, doesn't know that Aaron has traveled back in time more than he has. Um, I, I think you probably remember that moment when they're in the library uh, tracing their stocks. Um, uh, right. You can see Aaron's carefully writing his uh, his numbers. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot, there's a lot of, like, little details in this movie that really, really make it amazing. and. Um, yeah, I, I, this, is a, this is a pretty good graphic. Uh, the person who put this together did a good job, so I encourage you to look at it if you're interested. Fantastic. Yeah, check the description for that. Oh, did you um, see, the, did so you I, see the, yeah. uh, the thing I sent you yesterday? The, um, yes. the SKCD uh, uh, comic where he, goes, he charts the timelines of the different uh, movies or different franchises. Yeah, it's got like Lord of the Rings. Star and then, Wars. Um, Star Wars and 12 Angry Men, which yeah, is so Man, easy. Which is funny. <laughs> And then there's Primer, which is just a bunch of squiggles, like, all over each other. <laughs> I love that. that it's so funny. Yeah, we'll, we'll include that one, too, um, so that you can get a good laugh out of that. If you've seen Primer, you've earned the right to laugh at that yes. uh, uh, joke. <laughs> um, okay, so my Easter eggs, uh, I read these uh, on IMDb. Uh, Ryan Johnson, director of Looper, uh, which is a 2012 film, mentions in the director's commentary that not only is Primer the best time travel movie ever made, but that he sent the script for Looper to Shane Carruth, and Carruth told him all his time travel was wrong. He's right. So quite Looper's time travel it makes no sense, but I, I accept it. It's consistent. It's consistent in the movie, so that's fine. I'll take that. <laughs> um. Another one, in order, to co- uh, in order to cut costs, Shane Carruth did mostly single takes of shots and filmed on 16mm stock. This was then transformed into mini digital video film, which you could edit on his PC. This caused some unforeseen problems. The editing software couldn't handle the sound properly, and two months of editing were needed just to synchronize the audio to the video. The biggest problem however, was the relative lack of footage, which made it difficult to work around continuity errors and technical problems because there often wasn't an alternate take that could be used. So this is what I'm talking about when it comes to like home editing of a video. This is the this is the death of many a home video idea yes. where you get done filming and then you're like, oh, okay, well, uh, based on some sort of technical issue I could not have seen coming, uh, this is just completely unusable. Uh, I've been there. Uh, Shane has been there. And uh, it's sometimes a completely insurmountable obstacle. So uh, again, I just like 
if you get anything from me in this podcast episode, it is appreciate the monumental task this guy went through to do all of this himself because it, there was no guarantee until he actually exported the final version of this video that any of this was going to come out in any way yes. uh, intelligible or comprehensible. So I am just so impressed uh, that he's able to do this. I would love to shake Shankar's hand one day uh, and say that he's a he's an inspiration to small content creators everywhere. <laughs> I and, completely uh, agree. And, I completely yeah. agree. <laughs> and finally, uh, over a hundred people auditioned for the parts of Abe and Aaron. David Sullivan was cast as Abe without professional acting experience, and director Shane Carruth cast himself as Aaron when he couldn't find the right person for the role. Uh, which I think that's super impressive that he didn't go into it. At least allegedly, he didn't go into it planning to play the main character. But um, I'm wondering if the right person for the role just means like the person who wouldn't who would be paid low enough to do this <laughs> so they could stay on budget. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, no. he did a great I mean, if job. Want, if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. You know, I think that seems to be the I, theme here. So <laughs> that is definitely the way Shane looks at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of our discussion. As we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to Primer? I give it a year of fungus growing on my brain. <laughs> Um, I mean, with how many times you've watched this movie, it's probably a lot more than a year's worth of fungus. That's on there. true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for this, for my rating, I will give this movie a white shirt and a tie that I will wear wear every day in every scene uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That was, uh, I mean, another low budget dead giveaway was that they were always wearing white shirt with tie. Well, they're just they're cartoon characters, you know, they can wear but the same yeah. outfit every day. I mean, it's smart. It's smart to do that. Just always wear the same thing. And it did make sense. I mean, these guys yeah. were like never off the clock. They were either at yeah. the real job or at their side hustle, uh, but constantly wearing the work clothes, uh, whether the tie was tucked into their shirt or not. Okay. So um, there you have it. Our discussion on primer joey what's next on apple chat next we are doing the highly acclaimed uh puss in boots that's right we highly demanded uh from the apple chat community right. and joey and i will actually be in person for that one so even though it sounds like we're always just across the table from each other every week uh we, we do uh not always have the chance to be in person so we're really going to relish that uh when we meet to discuss puss in boots uh next week um, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Applechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address, AffableChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat over and over and over and over and over? <laughs> <laughs> Apple Chat is live on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Chat. And if you want to simulate what it's like to go back in time, you can even watch past VODs uh, so you can experience the chat even though it already happened. That's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>